All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Even if I was not scheduled to preach this morning, somebody would have had to have beat me out of this pulpit after that last song right there. Man, what an amazing, amazing worship song. Amen? Amen. So I have a little bit of news for you all this morning. On July the 24th, we have a guest preacher who is going to be with us in the morning as well as in the evening service. And I think you all might know who this is and his family. I've heard they lived around this area for a while. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. There you go. You all did see that pun we worked on right there, didn't you? I'm hoping you appreciate that. No, I am excited. Uh, Pastor Michael has honored and blessed me with coming to preach the first anniversary here. And uh, just, I hope you all know, it is a privilege and an honor to be able to be in this church and to follow the leadership of uh, Pastor Michael. And by the way, I don't know if you all are noticing this outfit, but I'm going to tell you, discipleship is strong at this church. Amen? Amen. It's going to be a wonderful time. I am excited about that. So anyway, on with this morning's message. As you all know, our series that we have been in is Jesus on Prayer. And we are focused this morning specifically on forgiving prayer. This last week I saw a meme online, and you all know there's certain things that just crack me up. And if it cracks me up, I feel like it might crack somebody else up. But this one particular meme, it kind of put my entire message, the basic of the message, together in one shot. So let's go ahead and bring that one piece up. So if you cannot read that, it basically says when you want to throat punch somebody, but you trying to get right with the Lord. That's, that's basically what we're dealing with. We're talking about forgiving prayer this morning. The chances are we've all probably been there at some degree. Some of you might be there this morning. So in an effort, in order to uh, be a good pastor, I thought I would preach this morning on forgiving prayer. And that way, next week, I don't have to preach on prison prayer. So I'm trying to help you all every way I can. But in all seriousness, when you are mad with someone, when you are divided against someone, there is this division in your spirit. There's an unsettledness in your heart when you're trying to spend time alone with God in prayer. Broken relationships, they weigh us down, they distract us, they derail us from God's best. And according to Jesus, unforgiveness will mess up your prayer life. So today, as we're in this topic on forgiving prayer, we're actually going to be in Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. So go ahead, feel free to turn over to that text. What you're going to find is the text we're studying this morning absolutely directly follows the section we just studied this last week when we were talking about believing prayer. And that works in our advantage for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is we're now new, used to the context. We were there this last week, so a lot of the heavy lifting has already been done. 
So last week, we found the context that Jesus set for this whole piece, and that is we've already talked about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We talked about the cursing of the fig tree. We talked about the cleansing of the temple and how Jesus was restating the purpose of the temple, that the temple is to be a house of prayer for all the nations. So that was the context that Jesus used in order to teach this lesson from last week. Have faith in God first. But now that same context is what he's using in order to address this topic of forgiveness as well as prayer. Now, before we jump into the new verses for this week, I want to go back for just a moment and give a very quick recap of where this series is at. Sometimes we start a series, we kind of share this is where we're going, but it's almost like you can get into the weeds, so to speak, week after week, and you miss where the big picture is at. So I want to recap how the pieces are coming together, helping us understand what Jesus taught the disciples on prayer. So we started this back over in Luke 11, when the disciples came to Jesus and they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And not only was he willing to teach them, but he kept on teaching them. You find for the next several months, over a year, he keeps taking moments and teaching them these lessons on prayer. And in the last three weeks, we have studied six different lessons, six different issues that Jesus taught his disciples that he helped them see if these are a part of your life, they're going to hinder your effectiveness in prayer. Now, that's key for what I'm talking about. The question is not, do we pray? The question's not, can we pray? The question is, are we effective when we pray? That's what we want to make sure about is that when we go to God in prayer, there's nothing that has come into our attitude. Nothing has come into our belief system. Nothing has come into our habits that is hindering our effectiveness in prayer. And so far, there's been six issues that we have covered that Jesus addressed with the disciples that hinder our effectiveness in prayer. And some of these we went in depth on, others we went through in passing. But here they are very quickly. They're in your notes. The first of those was hypocrisy. That's saying one thing and doing another. That will hinder our effectiveness in prayer. The next one that we discussed was pride. Wanting people to think that we're more spiritual than we really are. The next that we covered was meaningless repetition. That is saying things over and over without thought, without meaning, without purpose. We're, we're just filling the air with words. That's not what God's looking for. The fourth was selfishness. We make prayer all about us. Remember, in the model prayer, we saw it was God first, other second, me third. Then the fifth is lack of persistence. Sometimes we give up too quickly when we pray. And then number six was doubt. We don't really believe God. We, we don't really believe the power of prayer. We don't really believe the importance of prayer. Doubt has a way of creeping in. So we've covered six of these so far, and today we're going to add number seven into that list. That is unforgiveness. That is holding a grudge diminishes our effectiveness in prayer. So if you are not already there, go with me in your Bibles. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 11, will be in verses 25 and 26. I'm speaking this morning on the subject of forgiving prayer. Here's what it says, starting in verse number 25. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything 
against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask at this time, may your Spirit guide us into all truth. Lord, give us ears to hear. God, give us hearts and desire to obey. And Lord, I pray today that if there are people walking with the burden of unforgiveness, God, may it be dropped at your feet this morning. And may they walk out of this room in freedom. And Lord, I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So on the surface, I don't think that these two verses could be any more clear as to what Jesus is trying to convey. The context is clearly that of prayer. He says, when you stand praying, he's talking about prayer. Well, what's he teaching his disciples about prayer? Next word, forgive. Forgive if you have anything against anyone. Jesus is teaching a connection between our forgiveness and our prayers. When you pray, forgive. Very, very clear. By the way, if we follow that one statement, it'll free up people to walk in the joy of our relationship with God. It should be every time we pray, if there's unforgiveness, it's dealt with at that moment. But what happens is it's not dealt with over time, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds, and it begins to eat away at the inside of a person. So who should I forgive? He says, anyone. Is it okay to throw punch a few people? No, no, it's not. <laughs> It'll mess up your prayer life. It'll probably land you in jail. Don't do that. Now, what exactly am I supposed to forgive? Anything. Really? Like, I can see that for the small stuff. I can see that for things that don't hurt that bad. But what if it's a big issue? Forgive. What if it is one that's come back multiple times? Forgive. What, what if it's something that they don't even know and don't even agree that what they did was wrong? Forgive. Did you notice in the text that Jesus did not connect our forgiveness with their understanding of guilt? He said, if you have anything, if you, if you, if me, if you have anything against anyone, forgive. It is hard to see this teaching and not see how it is the most encompassing teaching on forgiveness and prayer that you can find. Who's supposed to forgive? All of us. Who do we forgive? Anyone. What do we forgive? Anything. Like that is as broad and as wide as you can possibly get it. So what happens if I don't forgive? First, we're choosing to be disobedient. Jesus said, forgive. If he says forgive and we say no, we're walking in disobedience. But here's the second part of that. Lack of forgiveness or unforgiveness, it shows a broken spiritual state. And that's what I want us to dig into this morning. How does a lack of forgiveness 
cause this broken spiritual state and what happens when somebody is willing to leave it all with Christ and walk in the freedom that is ours in Christ. So all of that leads into our key truth this morning. An unforgiving spirit reveals a broken spiritual state and hurts our effectiveness in prayer. Let me say that again. An unforgiving spirit reveals a broken spiritual state and hurts our effectiveness in prayer. Now, we're going to unpack this particular truth this morning by asking five questions. Each of these questions helps pull out a different facet of forgiveness or unforgiveness. It brings out a different facet of the text itself. Now, let me say from the very beginning, before I even give you what our five questions are going to be, this morning could easily be one of the hardest messages you're going to hear in your Christian life. I don't, I don't want to take that lightly. When you've been hurt, when you've been wounded, when somebody has done something against you or your family or those that you love, true forgiveness is hard. I'm going to tell you from the very beginning, true forgiveness takes time and listen, it's humble work. It's work, but it's work you have to humble yourself before God. And even in those hard moments, say, God, I don't want to, but I need to. I'm going to humble myself before you. God, it hurts like crazy, but I'm going to humble myself before you. It might be that a year from now, you're still in that same space. You just keep coming back. It, it takes time. It takes humble work. But listen, the dividends of the payout on the other side is freedom. Amen. And when you walk in the freedom that is yours in Christ, you don't ever want to go back into bondage again. You don't ever want to hold something in your heart that's going to hold you back, that's going to hinder you from running the race effectively. You want to run with everything you have in you. One day when you see your Savior face to face, you want to come in like you just finished the 100-yard dash. You, you want to come in leaning in. You don't want to be in a place where you say, I made it, but look at all the baggage I brought with me. Listen. If we believe the gospel, he freed up the baggage at the cross. He's given what we need to run and to run effectively. So here's our questions we're going to ask. As a Christian, is my forgiveness before God contingent upon my forgiveness of others? Key is as a Christian. We're going to get into some theology on this one. Second question that we're going to deal with is, how do I know if I've really forgiven someone? Third question, are other sins connected to unforgiveness or holding a grudge? The next one, when I choose not to forgive, what am I really saying? Next one, what if I can't forgive myself? I hope you stay tuned to that last one. Question number one we're dealing with. As a Christian, is my forgiveness before God contingent upon my forgiveness of others. As a Christian, that's key here. So this text can be a little bit confusing if we don't take the time to see where it fits into the theological landscape. Verse number 26, it says, if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Now hold on just a moment. I thought God forgave 
all of my sin, past, present, and future, at the cross. So am I completely forgiven or am I partially forgiven? Was it that he just forgave everything up to salvation and then I keep coming back and saying, Lord, forgive me of the next one, forgive me of the next one, forgive me of the next one? Or was it past, present, and future? Like, I'm confused. What, what does this look like? Well, it's confusing in this sense because we tend to think of the new covenant of grace beginning in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, because that's where our New Testament begins. But listen. The new covenant of grace is not established until the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's not till the end of the Gospels. So the complete forgiveness that we have in Christ today as members of the new covenant of grace, it was not yet available to the disciples back in Mark chapter 11. Jesus had not yet suffered for sin. He had not yet died to pay our sin debt. And he had not yet risen from the grave that we would have eternal life. Get this, today, because Christ's redemptive work is complete, we have complete forgiveness in Christ. He canceled our sin debt. We sang about that a few moments ago. By the way, listen, oh, watch out, watch out, watch out. I love it when God lines up things somehow that I'm like, oh, God, that's good. I, I hope I can work that into a message. Sometimes that sends me down a rabbit trail. That's all right. We're going to run with it. Okay. We just sang about being completely forgiven. Did you know sometimes we are singing truth and we're living a lie? You're either forgiven or you're not. According to what Jesus says, our sin debt has been canceled. We're cleansed before God. That's why we can rejoice with the saints in Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we're forgiven, how does this text apply to us? Our forgiveness of others is the evidence, not the basis of our forgiveness. So let me take out that middle phrase to make it as clear as I can make it. Our forgiveness of others is the evidence of our forgiveness. See, we, we, we don't forgive to earn God's blessing. We, we, we don't go before God and say, God, I'm going to do this because you're going to bless me on the other side. That, that's not what this is about. Here's the thing. You and I could do nothing to earn our salvation to begin with. Spiritually bankrupt before a holy God. We brought nothing but sin and depravity to the cross of Jesus Christ. It is improper for us to say God is waiting on us to forgive other people, and when we do, then he's going to forgive you. If you're a follower of Christ, listen, that would mean that somehow our forgiveness, our works was the basis of our salvation. Listen, Jesus paid it all. Jesus did everything. You and I don't have the capacity to forgive people the way Christ forgives so our forgiveness is based on what Jesus has done for us. Now, I'm going to give you several passages because it helps frame out what we now have in Christ. So the first of these is over in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. It's just a reference here. It's a parable about what happens with forgiveness after you've been forgiven. Now, remember, this is still before the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But it's telling us what it looks like for forgiven people to then extend forgiveness to others. So here's basically what's happening in the story. 
There's a king who forgave a slave of a massive amount of financial debt. And then that slave turned around and choked another slave who owed him a little bit of money. And when the king found out about it, listen to what the king said, you wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Here's the point. Those who have been forgiven forgive others. Now let's get to the other side of the covenant of grace. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Those who have been forgiven, forgive others. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Those who have been forgiven, forgive others. So here's our key truth again. An unforgiving spirit reveals a broken spiritual state. And it hurts our effectiveness in prayer. So if there's an unforgiving spirit, it it reveals at least two things. One of two things. Either one, the person has not repented of their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. And they're not a follower of Christ yet. They cannot extend forgiveness because they haven't experienced the forgiveness of Christ yet. Or number two on that, that's a Christian who is choosing to walk in disobedience. Allowing sin to disrupt their fellowship with God, and here it is, and hurt their testimony before others. See, either way you look at this, it reveals a broken spiritual state. So here's our second question. How do I know if I've really forgiven someone? Oh, man. You could preach a month of Sundays on this one piece right here alone. Because you all know as well as I do, talk's cheap. You can verbalize the words and say, I forgive you, and then go chew that person out in your heart behind their back. It's easy to verbalize the words. How do we know if we've truly forgiven someone? We've got to go back to our definition. What is forgiveness? Here's a definition of forgiveness. To forgive is to pardon someone, to release them from a debt, or to cancel an obligation. To forgive is to pardon someone, to release them from a debt, or to cancel an obligation. When we really forgive someone, listen, we release them from a debt. We release them from the sin. We release them from the obligation. Now, that doesn't mean there's not consequences that come when we sin. But the issue here is on the side of forgiveness. What are we doing in that particular moment? When we are really at a place of knowing that we have forgiven someone, there's this, I don't know how you would say it. It's this personal shift that happens in your heart and mind towards that person where even when you're praying for them, at one point you would be praying, God, get them back. God, expose them. God, show them what they did. But the longer you pray for that person, say, God, thank you for the fact that you have not exposed every sin in public that I have committed before you. Thank you for the fact 
that you have been gracious with me. So, Lord, as best I know how, God, I ask you to live forgiveness through me. I don't know what that's going to look like right now, but God, live forgiveness through me. It, it could take months or years, but here's what will happen. If you keep praying that type of submissive prayer before God, there will be a shift that happens in your mind, and all of a sudden one day you're praying for that person, and here's what will change. You'll say, God, I pray your favor and blessing over them. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them. God, help them to be all that you created them to be. God, love them deeply. God, give me eyes to love them like you love them. Give me a heart to care for them like you care for them. And when that happens, here's what you know. Forgiveness has now occurred inside of you. When you can begin to pray blessings over those who hurt you, that's the gospel. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So all of this is coming back to we're to forgive others as Christ forgave us. So very quickly, let me give you just a few things. Psalm 103, 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. Oh, did you see that? Not even for your sake. Listen, God is so good that even in that he's saying, this is because I'm holy. This is because I'm good. You didn't earn this. I wiped it out for my sake so that my name would be great among the nations, so that people would look at me. That's, it's all about him. Hebrews 10, 17, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's how Christ forgave us. Ephesians 4.32, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So what if you can't do that? Oh, here's the beauty of the gospel. None of us can do it like that. That's why it's not you and I living for God. It is Jesus living his life through us. What do we do? We go and we confess our inadequacy before God. We humble ourselves and say, God, I can't. I don't even want to do that. But I want you more. I want to walk in obedience. I want to walk in intimacy even more than this. So God, live this through me. Here's the next one, question three. Are other sins connected to unforgiveness or holding a grudge? The answer is yes. The problem we get to at this point is many of these sins would be considered acceptable sins in Christian circles. And let me share what I mean by that. I don't think anybody's going to come up and say, that's not a sin, or it's okay to do that. I say it's acceptable in the sense that we just don't place emphasis here. We don't get upset about some of the internal sins of the heart. Now, we will go after the people in outward sin. We go after the world in outward sin. By the way, we got a problem there. They need Jesus. They don't need our condemnation at that point. So even as believers, like, we focus on the outward, and so much of this is on the inside. And we almost feel like 
if the only thing I have to worry about at this point is just forgiving a few people, I'm in good shape. That's not the case. Because unforgiveness is just part of a much bigger conglomerate of sins that sit in your heart. So when we choose not to forgive, we choose to embrace pride. I don't have to forgive. It's my hurt. It's my pain. It's my life. Self-centeredness. I shouldn't have to forgive. They hurt me. We turn the situation about us. Disobedience. I don't care what God says about forgiveness. I'm not going to do it. Resentment. The longer unforgiveness stays in your heart, the more resentment and hatred builds. Next one, and it's going to sound strange, but jealousy. We get jealous because the other person is receiving what we want. Here's what I mean by that. Why should they feel better if I'm still in pain? Why should other people encourage them when I'm discouraged and they were the ones who sinned against me? They're getting the attention that I deserve. Do you see how quickly even jealousy can bring the motives around? Watch out for this one, idolatry. When you hold on to that grudge, here's what you're saying. My grudge is greater than my God. My God could not free me from this, so I'm going to keep holding on to it. And number eight, I don't know what this is. I'm just listing them. Number whatever the next one is, is hypocrisy. I want others to forgive me when I sin, but I don't want to forgive others when they sin. When we hold a grudge, that's what we're holding on to. Now, let me just ask, does that sound like a spiritually healthy person? An unforgiving spirit reveals a broken spiritual state, and it hurts our effectiveness in prayer. Here's the next one. Question four, when I choose not to forgive, what am I really saying? Sometimes it helps to verbalize what we're actually embracing. Because when you put words to it, you're like, ugh, that's nasty. That's not good. Like, no, that, that's not what I mean. But it, here's, here's what we're saying. When we choose to remain in a state of unforgiveness, we're saying my standards are higher than God's standards for forgiveness. God, you might be willing to forgive them of that. My standard's here. We're saying my feelings are more important than my spiritual health. I choose to hold on to the pain. I don't care who it hurts, myself included. We're also saying my wrongs are less offensive than your wrongs. We demand justice when we're offended. We want mercy when we offend others. We're saying my will is more important than your will. You cannot read this Bible and not clearly see that it is God's will for his people to forgive others. Verse after verse, you read it in context, 
He wants us to forgive. He wants us to forgive. He wants us to forgive. When we say, I'm not going to, we're saying, my will is greater than God's at this point. The next one is, my hurt is more important than my obedience. I got a good word for you this morning. You're going to need a good word. This, this has kind of been a Bible whooping right now, and I, I don't want it to be that. I want us to walk away knowing the freedom we have in Christ. But here, here's a good word that God's helped me with over the years. My hurts are healed in my obedience to God. My hurts are healed in my obedience to God. I don't want to draw attention to me, but I do feel like I need to at least share on a personal level. There have been attacks against me as a person, against my character, against my wife, against my kids. Hurtful things. By the way, you can't be a Southern Baptist pastor for 23 years and not take some wounds along the way. The church is famous shooting the wounded there's been attacks against our family and over the years I go back to God and sometimes it's month after month because I can feel that resentment that anger because I want to defend myself I want to say you don't know what's happened there you don't understand truth you were not here that's a lie I want to jump out in defense but listen here's what somebody taught me a long time ago you never feel dirtier than when you're trying to defend yourself sit at the feet of Jesus and just say God if you don't remove this I'm going to walk with an offense if you don't remove this from my heart, I'm going to be mad at the next person. I'm going to be looking out of one eye at people I don't even know, thinking they're going to do the same thing to me that somebody else did back here. God alone is the one who can free you. My hurts are healed in my obedience to God. Walk it out before him. Now here's the last one, and this is probably, could be, the hardest of the group. What if I can't forgive myself? So, I need everybody to look this way for just a moment. I by no means want to offend anyone this morning in this. I definitely do not want to add angry emails into my email account this next week. But we have to be as biblical as we can be as followers of Jesus Christ. So let's say you're the offender and you can't let it go. There has been people who have wrestled with how do you move beyond something of their past. And they heard a talk show host, might have heard a pastor, might have heard a counselor, or might have heard a friend say, you have to forgive yourself. I want, to, I want you to hear me with all the grace I can bring here. That is a lie, and it is unbiblical. There is nothing in the Word of God about you and I forgiving ourselves. To forgive, remember our definition, is to pardon someone to release them from a debt or to cancel an obligation. 
God can forgive you because your debt, your failure, your sin was against him. Others can forgive you because your debt, your failure, your sin was against them. You can forgive others because their debt, their failure, their sin was against you. But there's nothing in Scripture about you and I forgiving ourselves. But listen, God doesn't leave us in a place of brokenness. God never breaks us to leave us broken. He tells us what to do after sin. Here's what the Word of God says. We're told to repent of our sin, Matthew 4, 17. Forsake our sin, Proverbs 28, 13. And confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9. We are told to forget what lies behind and reach to what lies ahead, Philippians 3. We are called to embrace and to believe and to accept the forgiveness we already have in Christ, Ephesians 4, 32. And we are called to remember who we are in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what God says. You're holy and you're beloved. You've been set apart. You've been cleansed. Your sin debt has been wiped clean. You are now seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That's who you are in Christ. We've never been told, forgive yourself. God teaches us how to move past sin but it's not based on our ability. Forgiving yourself is a part of secular humanism and secular psychology that has now infiltrated the teachings of the local church. It is an attempt, oh, you gotta hear how big this is. It's not just verbiage, this is huge. It is an attempt to meet your own needs apart from your God. It is suggesting that somehow God's forgiveness of you was not enough, so now you got to finish the job yourself. It's saying somehow that the gospel that you said set you free now needs your help in order to truly be free. That's an offense against the holy God. If you're a Christian and you've sinned against someone, what do you do? Here it is. You confess your sin before God. You repent of that sin before God. And you thank Jesus for the forgiveness you already have in Christ. By God's grace, you say, Lord, would you live obedience and righteousness through me. If possible, you go to the person you offended and you confess your sin to them. You ask them for forgiveness. And listen, and if they extend forgiveness, praise the Lord. Oh, watch this. But if they don't, that's now between them and God. Listen, here's, here's what Romans 12, 18 says. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You cannot control their response. But you can submit yourself before a holy God and say, God, I want to be close and clean before you. Now, what if you still feel bad even after that? Hear me. There's some point in your Christian life that you're going to have to say, I'm going to believe what God says even if I don't feel it. That's right. That's right. This is a great opportunity. 
there's a point that you just have to say, it's right here in the word. And if I can't believe this, I can't believe him for other stuff. You have to be able to say, God, I'm going to take it. I'm going to receive it. I might not feel it. It might not be the thing I want to do. It might be so uncomfortable. It might feel like I'm trying to breathe underwater right now. But God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust your way is best. I trust that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. I trust that when I got saved, I got all of Jesus at that moment. I'm not waiting on a second installment. I'm not waiting on another blessing. But when I got Jesus, I got him all. And if he's not enough to get me beyond Beyond my past, why am I trusting him with my future? We got to believe what the word of God says. I told you we're getting into some forgiving prayer this morning now. To keep us out of prison next week. An unforgiving spirit reveals a broken spiritual state. And it hurts our effectiveness in prayer. So as we close, let me just say, are you walking with unforgiveness today? There's a quote that's been made famous by Marianne Williamson. She said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. Are you walking with unforgiveness today? Are you holding a grudge? It could be 20 years ago and you're still walking with it. Has unforgiveness robbed you of effectiveness in prayer? Are you walking under the weight of broken relationships and wondering why the Christian journey is so cumbersome? Has God been prompting you to forgive? And you keep saying, no, I'm not going to do it. I want to encourage you today, don't let another day pass without experiencing the freedom of total forgiveness. I'm going to ask you if you would, bow your heads for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Everything that I have described so far, I tried to preface it by saying, for the Christian, for the Christian, What we're talking about here is what it looks like when Christ lives through us. If there's never been a time in your life that you have repented of your sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to encourage you, that's the first step that you need to take. The gospel is so simple. The message of Christ is simply this. Humanity was created for relationship with God. Our sins separated us from that relationship. There was nothing that we could do to make things right ourselves. But Jesus did for us what we could not do. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose from the dead three days later that we might have life. And he offers eternal life, a reconciled relationship to those who turn from their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Jesus has done everything necessary for you to walk in freedom and to experience your created purpose. 
If you have not yet placed faith in Jesus, and if there's any part of what I'm saying that you're saying, I need that, don't walk out of this room today without knowing how you can have it in your life. There's going to be some of our pastors and some of their wives and counselors that will be down at the ends of the aisles. They want to speak with you. If there's somebody in the room right now that you've been wrestling with unforgiveness and you just don't know what to do, you want somebody to pray with you, maybe someone to help hold you accountable of making sure things progress biblically, come talk to one of these pastors. Let them know what's in your heart. Our desire for a worship service is not that you come in, you gather, we sing some songs, we hear a word, and we go home unchanged. We want people to meet with Jesus. We want God to do a work in hearts. Listen, we can pray all we want. God send revival and awakening. These are the steps that precede revival. It's when God's people say, I don't want sin to be in my life any longer. And when sin is being dealt with, watch the Spirit of God move in unusual ways. So however God is leading you this morning, I'm going to encourage you today. Respond to him. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, may we walk in the freedom that is ours in Christ. God, may there not be a single person in this room who walks away today knowing that they cannot be freed from sin through the gospel. Are those walking away today thinking that they cannot be freed from the hurt of the past? God, may we see burdens laid before you and people walk out in the victory that is already ours that the enemy many times has stolen for years. God, may we walk faithfully with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing? The altar is open.